0: Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, The land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Our New Testament reading is from Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary has been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until he had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated.
1: morning. Please join me in prayer for the word of God. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just, Lord, praise your name. And Lord, we are reminded once again of your glory, Lord, of your grace, your love for your people and for this world. And we pray that as we hear your word, Father, that we would have a posture, an attitude of worship to you. That your Holy Spirit may work in us, that your Spirit may teach us, Lord, further your ways and your will, and that we may live according to those ways and your will, all for your glory. Please, Lord, help us to focus and wholly, Lord, center ourselves, Lord, on your word at this time. And, Lord, help us not to be distracted, that we may, Lord, hear your voice through your word this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The day approaches soon when we will celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ on Christmas. And I think a lot of us are excited about that. A lot of us love this season because of the reason, right? Jesus Christ, but also because we get to receive a lot of gifts from people and spend a lot of time with family. And, you know, I think for some people uh, who love to go shopping, right? It's a a reason to just go shopping. Like, what are you doing going shopping? Oh, I got to buy gifts, you know, for people and myself. You know, I got to go shopping. (laughs) Christmas is a time where, you know, it's it's joyous and we celebrate our Lord. But, of course, we spend this season, this time before Christmas, in Advent. And for centuries, people, the people of God, have recalled that first Advent, the first coming of Christ. And for centuries before Christ, his people would continuously call upon God and ask, How long, how long, how long must we wait until Messiah comes and so through the prophets God promised this Savior to his people and he repeated this promise for generations and generations and we hear the Christmas story and we hear it every year right and so it might be a little repetitive for some of us and it might get a little old for some of us we read about Joseph's struggle about finding out that his soon-to-be wife is already pregnant And the struggle that he goes through. We read about the miraculous, uh, the conception uh, in Elizabeth. And how she comes to Mary with this news. And we hear about Mary rejoicing about not only that miracle, but the miracle that's inside of her. And we read about her praise to God and the wonder of this child that is in her. We read about the angels and the shepherds. We read about the wise men. We read about King Herod. The story of Jesus' birth is so intricate and it's so detailed. And many parts seem unbelievable or too good to be true. Yet we believe in every single part of it. With the faith that has been given to us, we believe in this Christmas story. We believe in the birth of Jesus Christ. All that was written. We believe that it was exactly the way it was. We believe that it is all true, all of this about Jesus Christ, both the beginning and the end. With faith, we believe not only in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we believe in the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ as well. You might ask, why do we need to emphasize such things? The sad reality is that The inspiration, the authority, and the sufficiency, and the inerrancy of the Word, of Scripture, God's Word, is being challenged more and more with each generation. And people are beginning to choose which parts of the Bible, which parts of Scripture they want to believe in, and especially in our modern day, with science and many advancements in the world, people are choosing which parts to believe Parts that are inconvenient or hard to believe in, they choose to just omit and leave out. And they switch the scripture with their own opinions or their own suggestions, or they just take it out completely. In 2014, which was less than 10 years ago, a poll was done by the Pew Research Center. And the question was asked Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? And at that time in 2014, out of everyone that was polled, 73% of the people said that they did believe. 19% said they didn't and the rest said that they were unsure. And they did another poll three years later in 2017. And in this poll, people were asked the same question. But only 66% said that they believed in the virgin birth. So it went down by seven points. Now this shouldn't be surprising to us because This poll wasn't just to Christians, it was to everybody of any religion or of no religion, of any culture, whatever they believed in, they were polled this. And 66% in 2017 said that they believed in the virgin birth. However, what is surprising is that from 2014 to 2017, not only did it decrease generally, but this belief in the virgin birth decreased among Christians, 5% from 2014 to 2017. 4% among Protestants and 3% among Catholics, and five overall. The poll also revealed that in the coming generations, the generations that are coming up, that they are believing less and less in the virgin birth. The, The biggest decrease happened with people who are under 50, and the greatest decrease happened in those, especially in ages 18 to 29, when in 2014, 70% believed in the virgin birth, and in 27 only 54% believed. So, why is the virgin birth so important? Especially in our modern day, right? With all of these technological advances and scientific advances and all of the knowledge that we have now, Isn't it far more rational? Isn't it far more believable to say that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, but that he was born like everyone else, just normally? Can't we just believe that Jesus was a really good person, that he did what he said he taught? Can't we still believe in the death and resurrection of Christ? Can't we still believe that he forgives our sins? and not have to believe this craziness about being born of a virgin? The answer is, of course we need to believe in the virgin birth. Because the virgin birth is what centers around everything about Jesus Christ and who He is. Without the virgin birth, then the prophecies would not be fulfilled. The scriptures would be wrong about what they tell us. Jesus would not have been conceived by the Holy Spirit. So then Jesus would be born of sin and into sin. Then Jesus wouldn't be fully human and fully divine. Then he wouldn't be the perfect propitiation for our sins. And the repercussions go on and on and on. If we do not believe in the virgin birth, There is no death and resurrection and forgiveness of sins. And so those that try to disprove the virgin birth, they they have different reasons and they try to look at the translation and they say, oh, the words are translated wrong. Or there's just a misinterpreted text. or, Or we're just looking at this the wrong way. Or it's humanly impossible to conceive a child when you're virgin. And on and on. And these attacks date all the way back, centuries ago, to the Council of Nicaea, where there were some, especially a man named Arius, who were attacking and discrediting Jesus' divinity and the virgin birth. And even more recently, in our own history of Presbyterianism, About 100 years ago in our denomination, in the Presbyterian denomination, there arose disagreements among fundamentalists and those who call themselves modernists about the fundamental core Christian doctrine of the validity of the virgin birth. Yet, throughout history, the essential, this core truth and doctrine of Christ's virgin birth has withstood the test of time. And so we read this morning, In the Old Testament, Isaiah's prophecy being fulfilled in the New Testament, in Matthew. God himself sent his own son of the line of David to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. And of course, his name is Jesus, the Savior of his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. For those who truly believe in him, his birth, his death, and his resurrection, we are called the children of God. But if we look closer at today's Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, we will find that there's a little bit more that we need to understand about this prophecy in order to understand more about Jesus. For this prophecy was not only relevant to the people of the day of Matthew, The prophecy wasn't only for the people in the time of Jesus. The prophecy wasn't only for us today to read. But the prophecy was for the people in the time of Isaiah. Because that's when God spoke. God spoke to his people through Isaiah. And he gave them this prophecy. And so we need to understand what this prophecy, what these words of God meant to the people during the time of Isaiah. You see, the prophecy that we read in Isaiah, we can look in retrospect now and we can read the one in Isaiah 7 and we can read the one in Matthew 1 and say, oh, it all makes sense to us. But to the people in the time of Isaiah, to those Israelites, it didn't make sense because they didn't know, they would not not have known. This prophecy was fulfilled, not only at the time of Christ's birth, but it was fulfilled once in the time of Isaiah as well. And we're going to look at that. During the time of Isaiah in chapter 7, it was during a time when a a wicked king named Ahaz was the king of Judah. Ahaz was an evil king who practiced idolatry. He engaged in detestable worship practices in the temple of God. And we read that he even sacrificed his own son in fire. During his reign, the land of Syria and Israel were constantly, constantly trying to attack him and threaten him in Judah. And so they were like a, a stench to him. They were always broaching and, and, and constantly trying to go to war with him. And in Isaiah chapter 7, we read that Syria came together, together with Ephraim, they came together with Israel to try to come and attack Judah and overcome Judah. And so the Lord speaks through Isaiah, because Ahaz, he doesn't know what to do. And so through Isaiah, God says, if you trust in me, he says, I will protect you. I will give you victory. And God says to Ahaz, ask for a sign, and I will give you a sign that I will be your protector. I will be the one that saves you from the surrounding enemies. But Ahaz, he refuses. He refuses to listen to Isaiah. He refuses to put his trust in God. And instead, he plots himself to trust in Assyria, this up-and-coming nation that was becoming more and more powerful each day. He believed that they would be capable of saving him and his people in Judah, that they, this Assyrian nation, would be stronger than even God. And so Ahaz rejects God. And so that's where our Old Testament passage comes in today. God says to Ahaz through Isaiah, he says, if you're not going to ask me for a sign, if you're not going to ask for protection, he says, I will give you a sign. And of course, he says, this prophecy, he says, I will give you a son that is born of this virgin, this young maiden. And he will be the sign. And so this prophecy of course, in Matthew and now, we understand that this prophecy alludes to the Messiah and Christ and his coming. But at that time, this prophecy was fulfilled through the son of Isaiah, who at that time, his wife, was a young, used to be a young maiden, a virgin. And in chapter eight, we see that he has this son. And this son is a sign to the land of Judah and to Ahaz, a sign that God would be. With his people, no matter what. Even if they rejected him like Ahaz did, he said that I will be Emmanuel, I will be with you. So then, in the context of the people of Judah at the time of Isaiah's prophecy, this sign from God was either a blessing or a curse. Basically, God said, If you put your trust in me, if you believe that I will be your protector, then this will be a sign of your blessing. But he says, if you do not put your trust in me like Ahaz did, then he says this will be a sign of a curse. A curse that this land, this very land, this nation of Assyria that you're trying to put your trust in will eventually be your downfall. They will conquer you and destroy your land. The birth of a child was a sign from God either of blessing or of the curse. Of course, we know what happened to Judah and to Israel, that they were destroyed, that, they, that their land was completely demolished because they did not trust in the Lord, because they did not look to him for their protection or their salvation, they were destroyed. And so the first fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah, the sign of this child, that God would be with the people of Israel, we can see that because the people's hearts were not ch- changed, the people did not turn to God, that this was a sign of their destruction. It was a sign of a curse. But to those who continue to stay true and faithful to God, to the remnant of God's people in Israel at that time, the sign to them was a sign that God was still with them, even in the destruction, that he was Emmanuel, he was with them even as they were being taken captive even as they were being enslaved by the very people that they put their trust in this was a sign that he was still with them however this child was not enough to save them this child this child was not enough to give them salvation and so they continued to wait for the day where God would send His only Son, Jesus Christ. And so, in light of this context, we can understand what we read in Matthew chapter 1 a little bit better. The fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy was not complete. It wasn't finished. God had spoken to His people many, many centuries before through Isaiah that He would be with them. But it wasn't complete. God never relinquished it. He He was never far away from his people. He was still with him, Emmanuel. And we read in Matthew chapter 1 that finally God fulfills this prophecy once and for all through Jesus Christ. The Emmanuel. To be with his people once and for all. Not only to be with them, but to save them. And to save them from their sin once and for all. It was a greater message of hope. It was a greater message even than he gave to them centuries before. That all who believe in him would be saved. But the birth of our Lord, this fulfillment of the prophecy, would still be a sign, a sign of both blessing and a sign of a curse. For those who would be faithful to God, it would be a sign of blessing. But for those who would turn away from God, like Ahaz or like Judah, it would still be a curse. And so for us today, this sign, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, to us who believe in Jesus as our Savior, that God through Jesus has saved us and protects us from our enemies, this is the message that we rejoice in and that we put our hope in this message of the good news of Christmas. It is a message of hope to all of God's people that we who are in the darkness have seen the light. That we who were still sinners, God sent his son to save us. And through Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed and restored to God the Father. We have been saved by amazing grace. And amazing love. This grace and love that we could only know through Jesus Christ. And this message of hope, this message of salvation, is not just a message for us when we first believe. This sign of blessing, this sign of salvation to us shouldn't just be a message of hope for us once a year during Advent or during Christmas. But we should be renewed every single day of our lives through this message because we are being sanctified every day more and more into the image of Christ. So the prophecy was fulfilled in the time of Isaiah, giving those people hope that God was still with them. And the prophecy was fulfilled again in the time of Jesus, who was the Emmanuel, the greater hope. But friends, this prophecy will one day be fulfilled once again when Jesus comes, when He comes back for His people. He will fulfill this prophecy that we will be with Him forever in His return. During Advent, we recall the events of the birth of Christ, but we also hope that He will soon come again. He will come again as Emmanuel. And to be with us forever in the new heaven and the new earth, He will be with us. He will give us new bodies that will never perish. But for us who hear this message of hope today, it is also, again, either a blessing or a curse. Scripture tells us that when Jesus comes, God will separate the wheat and the weeds, that in the second coming, Jesus will separate. And put on one side the sheep and on the other the goats. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we have confidence in our salvation. And we wait with eager expectation for that day when the Lord comes for us. I think many times it's hard for us to think about this Advent and Christmas and you know, be truly joyful in this message because of all of the sin and the brokenness that still surrounds us in our lives, in our community, in our world. And we might have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ many years ago, but we just wish that we we could just go to heaven already, right? I think a lot of times it's harder to be a Christian the longer you're a Christian. Does that make sense? You know... It seems like every day that we're a Christians, just, we're just enduring. We're just pressing on until that day that we're with Christ in heaven. But let us not see our life for Christ as a mere waiting room experience. We're just sitting in the doctor's office, just waiting to be called on. There's no joy, there's no expectation. We're just waiting for our name to be called. Although we do still live in sin and shame, through Christ Jesus, we are reminded of his grace and his love and his salvation to us every single day. And we get to reflect on that unmerited salvation every day. It's it's a privilege. We get to do It's not just a grueling, oh, I'm just waiting till I get to go to heaven, or I'm just waiting till Jesus comes. It's, man, I'm such a sinner, but I've been saved by this amazing grace. We get to, we get to relive that, understand that every single day. So then our love and our hope in Christ shouldn't diminish the more, the longer that we're Christian, but it should increase and become greater the more that we're Christian. I'll give you an example as I close. My wife and I, before we got married, we were engaged for 22 months, so almost two years. And it might not seem like a long time to you, but it was a long time to me. <laughs> for the first 12 months, because of various circumstances, we couldn't even start preparing for the wedding. So we had to wait a year before we even start, got to start preparing for the wedding. And those 22 months, they were very, very excruciating for me. They were excruciating because I just wanted to hurry up and get married. I met this great girl, and we had prayed about it, and we felt, you know, like God was putting us together in in every way. And so we knew we were going to marry each other. But on the other hand, I had to wait 22 months to marry this person that I knew I was going to be with for the rest of my life. And that time of waiting, looking back, you know, it's nothing but at that time, man, I just could not wait to get married to this girl, this person, the love of my life. But at the same time, the, the waiting, those 22 months, it was a time of joy. It was a to- time of hope. It was a time of thinking of the future and what it's going to be like when I get to marry this person. How we're going to live and how happy I'm going to be. That anticipation and that expectation caused me to overflow with joy for those 22 months. And of course, onward, even more. But for those 22 months, I was happy every day. Why? Uh, I'm engaged to this person that I love so much and I'm going to marry her in 22 months, but I'm going to marry her. <laughs> and looking back, those 22 months made that wedding day so much more fulfilling, so much more joyful. Looking forward to that day, waiting an eager expectation for that day. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the groom, and we, his people, we, the church, are his bride. And one day, Christ will come back for his bride. And there will be a great wedding banquet, a wedding feast. And so we are called as his people, not only during Advent, especially during Advent, but every day of our lives, we are called as his people to wait with eager expectation for that day. Not grumbling, Not just waiting for our name to be called, but eagerly, with joy, with hope that that day will come. We're not called to just barely make it as Christians. We are called to have a peace of God that surpasses all understanding as we wait. We are called to rejoice with hope and live with the love of Christ in our hearts every day as we wait for our Lamb our our groom. In other words, we're supposed to live each day like we know that grace of God, and we know that love of God, and we know the salvation of Christ. And Christmas, the birth of Christ, is another reminder for us of why we are able to live this way despite whatever our lives look like. Despite our hardships, Despite our personal losses, despite maybe not being in the life stage that you want to be, or not having the things you wanted, or not accomplishing the things, or whatever you are going through, all of these things drive us into fear and to lose hope. But the scripture tells us this morning that God is with us. Emmanuel, every single day, he is with us. And he is coming back to be with us in a new heaven and a new earth. And that anticipation of that day will make that day even sweeter and even greater. It's like when you wait for a new product, right? And, and they, they've announced the day that it's going to come out, and you've you pre-ordered everything, and you're like, man, I can't wait to get that product. That day's going to come, and oh, man, it's going to be so great. For you guys who, who are Apple, you know, people, you know, they have that uh, thing every year. I don't know what they call it, but they announce all the products and then people, like millions of people, like a pre-order on oh my goodness, it's going to come out, right? Sometimes we're more excited about Apple products coming out than we are about Jesus coming back. <laughs> but it's like waiting for that new movie. We've seen the preview and we're like, man, that's going to be a great movie. I can't wait to watch that movie. I can't wait to watch that show. It's like falling in love with someone and saying, man, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with this person. Ought we not, as Christians, to have even more joy and anticipation because we have experienced the salvation of Christ, because we have experienced already the the love and the grace of Christ? Ought we not have more eager expectation because Jesus Christ has promised us that he will come back one day for us. And so, as his people, people who love him with all of our hearts, let us live each day with eager expectation, eager anticipation, and a greater love for Christ, who, as Philippians says, in Philippians says, who emptied himself, By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we eagerly await Christmas Day, let our hearts be filled with joy and eager expectation because we love our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Lord, your son, Jesus Christ. And in this season, especially, we celebrate Emmanuel. How, Lord, you physically came to this earth to to be our ransom. And so, Lord, we pray that as we reflect on this salvation that you have given to us, this grace and this love that you've given to us, Lord, every day, let us grow in our hope and our love for you. And as your people, we pray, Lord, that you would make us ready for that day when you will return and that you, Lord, will take us to be with you forever. We thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, have given us this hope. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Let's stand and join our voices in this song of faith. Hymn 123, O come, O come Emmanuel.